Hello, welcome to the Rooted Souls podcast. My name is Becca Spear, and I will be your hostess. Here I am offering you talks on spirituality and self-development that bring you back down to earth. Bridging the gap between ethereal ideas and mindful realism. These talks illuminate the magic in the mundane and facilitate discernment in the far out for a life rooted in wisdom. This podcast is for conscious seekers who are just opening up to spirituality and personal growth, or those of you who've been on that journey for a while, and you're realizing that things just are not what they seemed at first, or for those who are anywhere in between. I am so glad you're here. I invite you to either take a walk or sit down and relax with something nice and warm to drink, and just let this wash over you. Take what resonates, leave the rest, and just know that this is my gift to you. I hope that it serves you. I am so glad you're here, and I hope that you enjoy the show. Today, we have a very powerful topic for you. Blood rites, the hidden power of menstrual blood. And to explore this topic, with me today, I have Lexi, aka the Cycle Witch. They have a BA in dance and theater, a certification in arts management from Hollins University, and is gender queer and neurodivergent. They are 200 hour certified yoga instructor through the Mindfulness Center and have been practicing witchcraft for 15 years. Lexi helps healers, coaches, instructors, and spiritual leaders of the New Earth movement decolonize oppressive systems from their practice using cyclical arts. They are dedicated to healing all genders relationships to the menstrual cycle as a pathway to end oppressive systems. They use 25 years of academic and experiential mind-body study paired with professional experience as a somatic and evidence-based healer, practicing witch, ritualist, and thriving survivor of PTSD to offer you and me a feminine perspective on menstruality and spirituality that's accessible, grounded, and rooted in evidence-based methods, science, and anthropology. This topic is near and dear to my heart, and I am so grateful to have you here, Lexi. You have such a wealth of knowledge, and I can't wait to start picking your brain and sharing this wisdom with our audience. Welcome. Thank you. I am so excited to be here. This may be a new topic for many people. They might be wondering what is there to know about menstrual blood? So I'm wondering if you can start with kind of giving us an introduction into what you've witnessed as the way that the menstrual cycle has been experienced in our culture, um, mm -hmm. what new visions you have for it and what blood rights actually our, are. Our, that's interesting that I said our. It, Cause it, it, you know, I love that you don't um, keep it as a gender specific topic. It really is for all of us. So it's curious that yes. it's our. Yes, because it's already working. Ah, this is my favorite. So this is my favorite topic. I am so excited to be here to talk about this today. Uh, yeah, let's just dig in deep, right? So the menstrual cycle, there's so much taboo, so much shame around it, right? And it's not just like a mistake. It's not just like, 
oh, I was left into the world as a menstruating human without ever being taught really, really what that means, not really taught like what the four phases are, what I'm actually going through, and what that means emotionally, physically, spiritually, all of the things, right? Just kind of like, oh, you bleed. And I would like, when it happened to me, you know, I was just taught like, oh, it's the curse. Uh, and from like very Puritan and um, Puritan religious like backgrounds, a lot of times we'll call it the curse. They have this very, this connection, like even in apples, so now childbirth and menstrual periods and these things are painful and um, horrible experiences, blah, blah, blah. Um, all of those things and these like myths are extremely harmful. Then there's all of these taboos too about it being dirty somehow or somehow gross, somehow shameful, it needs to be hidden, which actually keeps, there's like, I think, I think the statistics are wild on this, that like two out of every three um, grade school menstruators will miss like work or school because of their period, because of lack of access to menstrual products, because it's not a widely talked about thing and it's considered taboo. Um, it leads to period poverty. It leads to missed school, a missed education, missed opportunity, actually just our very presence, you know, and our, our access to, to these things becomes diminished. So it's like on one end, it's, it's like, oh, well, you know, we can brush it aside and say, you know, well, everybody, you know, we all, go through that and uh, you all have been through the taboos and these things and you know just kind of brush it under the rug is um, something to just like get over already but it has a really really big impact 70 percent of people in poverty are um, womb holders and children so when you look at that like it's it's pretty significant and um, I'm not saying that it's because of menstruation not at all but what I'm saying is people with um, on top of it, handling menstruation as a part, not as a part of our lives, but as like the driving force of our lives. And that's what I really get at is, is when we are shamed out of treating this as a driving force in our lives, it impoverishes, impoverishes, impoverishes us um, spiritually and emotionally and physically quite a lot. And for those who are already living in poverty, it can make the situation even worse. So it's a very real issue. And there's a lot of cultures around the world that still um, consider it so dirty that um, when it's happening, they're not allowed in social circles, not allowed to be seen. And this is twofold, right? Because I really do support that um, we do segregate ourselves and remove ourselves, but not because we're dirty, but because we're actually so magical that the magic is just too intense for society. Um, well, all jokes aside, it actually is so intense that when we do have society, we do have other people in our space, it actually takes away from our inner listening and our inner ear to all of those visions and all of those downloads that we are able to receive during menstruation when we allow ourselves to be susceptible to that. So um, I'm sure many of you all listening are very familiar with the taboos. You all have probably felt the shame yourself of hiding your tampons on the way to the bathroom or making sure nobody knows or, or that, that ultimate fear. When I first got my period, I was just like, shook with anxiety, constant anxiety that I would bleed through my pants and it would just be horrific. And I just had those daymares constantly and bleeding through my pants. It was like almost like the worst thing in the world if ever anyone ever knew that I would was bleeding. And it's crazy. It's crazy because all of life comes from this. And so that's where I get down to um, the very 
purpose of of blood rights and what blood rights are um it's it's to me it's a ritualistic thing that honors the blood of life so it's funny when i take people my clients through uh, workshops one of the things that i show them is when you do a stock photo image search, for example, for menstrual blood, because I do this as part of my presentations. And you'll see glitter, you'll see flowers, you'll see like pads with like glitter on it. You'll see all these like creative ways of imitating blood when you see like tampon commercials or any type of commercials. You'll see anything and everything under the sun, including red dinosaurs representing blood without them actually showing menstrual blood because of this societal feeling of just like uh, around it, which is completely unfounded. Um, meanwhile, if you just search blood in stock photography, you'll find a plethora of images. There, society is not afraid of blood. It's not, it, it is not afraid of violent images of blood. You see like, um, you'll see like femme presenting humans with like blood coming out of their nose and they're like beaten and tied up and they have no problem putting that on stock footage. You'll see people with blood all over their hands, people being like stabbed. Like, like when it comes to violence, our society has no problem with representing and showing and demonstrating and viewing blood. But when it comes to life giving magical blood from the vagina, from the yoni, all of a sudden it becomes too horrific to look at it becomes horrible right and and I get a, like a very visceral reaction from people and I actually get a stronger one from womb holders than a lot of like male identifying and men identifying people in my lives when I when they see me with like menstrual blood on my face or like I use it in ritual they see me touching it often I get the oh like I don't put feces on my face very interesting because I often hear it compared to feces so I just want to like address that for a second too, because this goes back to the myth that it's somehow dirty, unclean. So I do, however ridiculous it seems that I have to address this, it is not, it is not poop. Like it, it is not feces. It's nowhere near the same thing. It is not waste product. Feces is waste product. If you get it on you, you will get sick. You get it in your, wherever you'll get sick because it is a waste product. Um, in the spiritual sense, menstruation can be considered like ama in, in yoga practice. Like it is, a, a, can be considered waste in that sense, but it is not a waste product. It is actually a life-giving product full of life-giving blood and menstrual, um, sorry, and stem cells and many other nutrients. So um, it has enough nutrients to create an entire life. Like that is what we're shedding, right? In the uterine lining, that is what we're shedding. So um, one, it's not feces, it's not waste. Um, two, when we think about um, fer fertile liquids that um, are ex uh, excavated from the body, I don't know if excavated is the right word, but when we think about fertile liquids leaving the body, when you think about semen, how often are we so used to as a society seeing semen on people's faces in pornography or in sex tapes or just in life for that it being an expectation? How often are femme identifying people asked to swallow it, like actually consume it? So when we think about that, when people tell me how gross 
blood is, I just say, well, semen. Like enough, enough said. That's all you need to say is just see like what about semen? Why do we hold these two liquids which are very similar in purpose to such different standards? And there is a very historical reason for that. And it is because of the shaming and the removal of power from people who have yonis, because yonis produce more value in forms of money every year than Google, Amazon, Walmart, all professional sports teams combined. Like when you th think about all of the sex trafficking, all of the pornography, all of the ways that money is being spent for access to this really epic portal. I mean, just think about it. Like it's more money than all of these industries combined, but why is it shamed and kept quiet? Why is more money going to that than anything in the world, but people who have yonis are 70% of people in poverty? Like, we, like you think about discrepancy, it's just mind blowing, right? There's a reason why this is shamed. There's a reason why our access to information about it has been taken away. It's very intentional. It's not just like, oh, I forgot to teach us this in school. That's crazy. Um, oh, they're trying to put us all on birth control bills so that we don't actually have real menstrual bleeds. Like, so that our hormones are, and that's a whole nother topic. I won't go into this, but um, it's very intentional. And historically it started, you know, 6,000 years ago, right? So it's, it's been going on for, for a long time, but it has not been going on forever. So. So we've moved from lots of taboos, lots of talk about how this is dirty um, and into the reclamation of that, right? So what, is, what does that look like? So reclaiming this, it, there's, it's kind of twofold, right? Because it's not just reclaiming the blood itself, like it's also reclaiming, reclaiming cyclical living, which we'll have another podcast talking about that um, in the future. But um, the blood itself is so symbolic and powerful and just reclaiming that alone holds so much power for the revolution of reconnecting as a society to the cycle of life. That's what it represents. It represents a cycle of life. And to think, you know, we've killed 25 million of our own kind in the past few centuries. Like we really are we honoring the cycle of life or are we honoring violence? Because right now the blood that we're honoring is the blood of violence and not the blood of the cycle of life. And so if we can get all of society, not just people who have wombs, but people who don't have wombs, people who have wombs and don't menstruate, people who identify as women, queer, non-binary men, all of all, it's all of our business because this is how humanity is created. And this cycle, we're so far removed from the cycle that we actually don't really know how it works. And that every single month, a womb holder goes through four different phases, very similar to what the earth goes through every single year in its four seasons. So in order to resurge and heal from all of this being taken away and all of this essentially trauma, not just to womb holders, but to all of humanity, moving from a culture or moving from honoring these cycles to one that is obsessed with 
man's power over nature that you can see even if you look at like the Versailles gardens like Louis the 14th like he the geometric shapes of the gardens and the trees like cut into squares like that was very symbolic it wasn't just like unintentional oh I'm going to make it like that it was like this is a symbol of my prowess of of my power over nature my ability to control mother earth and exude my power and that is the colonial mindset that overtook the entire planet that went out and used violence to overtake the entire planet and disconnect us from nature and from that cycle of life where dominance and power and that mentality just overshadowed the one of the cycle of life so coming back to our our blood rights there's many many ways that we can honor um, that we can honor through the use of blood itself um, and in another podcast we'll talk about actually honoring the phases that's a whole different part of actually honoring all the phases of your cycle um, but just honoring the blood itself can be very symbolic uh, to anybody who sees it so there's many ways that we can do this when I menstruate I have a lot of rituals. So I honor the bleed and the act itself by making sure that I set a time aside for myself. I cancel most all of my meetings, anything that's not completely mandatory. Um, I will cancel or move or reschedule. I usually try to be proactive and I have it on my calendar ahead of time. So that way I don't schedule anything social during that time. I just let people know it's like, no, I'll be on my bleed during that time. So I'm going to be alone and hibernating. Um, and then doing, I will often do manifestation rituals, which includes, um, which includes connecting with all of the elements with fire, air, earth, and water. So having each of those four elements and forms of either crystal, spring water, um, oftentimes incense to honor air, also often have sage, crystals to honor earth and, and some spring water and a candle to honor fire. So that's kind of like a basic of like my altar. And so having that um, and to sit down with myself, with the blood and I'll often anoint myself on the third eye. And if it's far enough in my cycle that I have enough blood, I will actually cover my entire face and I will sit down and just allow the downloads and just free write just cut up, I delete social media from my phone. I turn off most of my connection to the world and try, try as much as I can. You know, we all have obligations. Many people have kids and jobs and things that they can't completely shut down. But I really try to get people to honor it as much as they can. And um, yeah, and I will write and I will, and I receive so much vital information i receive so many visions and so much um clarity and direction and it's just unbelievable how many years i spent not honoring this time and and i think that it's one of the greatest powers that we have and that by removing this from our arsenal You've removed the power of our intuition and connection to source and to each other because it's like a direct access to source, right? So 
the visions are huge and super, super strong. And so I can't fully rest during every single menstrual cycle, during every single menstrual phase, I can't fully, fully rest. So what I advise my clients to do also, and what I do myself is each year, try to schedule at least once a year where you do a big bleed, like a big bleedcation and you schedule out time to have your entire menstrual phase, like alone in the woods somewhere, you know, like in a cabin off somewhere, like where for the full time, you're not connected to any screens, to any people, and just fully drop in and connect to source energy. And it is wild. It is wild. My first biggest, my first time I did what I call the big bleed. First time I did it, like the month after that, I actually had a lot of breakdowns because I had so much clarity, so many visions that came pouring in so much clarity in my life that everything just kind of broke down. And I knew my truth. I knew the things that I needed to step into it just came in so clear. I could not even look away from it after that. And it is so powerful um, that, that it's, yeah, I mean, I've said this already, but that is part of why we're kept from it because the visions can be so powerful. And what actually happens is um, when you take that time to fully rest and allow ourselves to work through all of the shaming that keeps us from resting, um, the, the three P's of patriarchy that is internalized within us, perfectionism, um, people pleasing and uh, productivity shaming, like those three things that we do to ourselves to shame ourselves into working through and working more and working harder during menstruation when we really could be resting and really accessing one of the greatest, most powerful things about us and about our connection. So I know many people have heard of the Holy Grail and the search for the Holy Grail and all of this stuff. And, and when you think about it, you think of witchcraft, we have a chalice, we have the cauldron, um, cauldron representative of the womb and the chalice representative of the uterus. When you think about the Holy Grail as a chalice, you really think there's a reason why it's shaped like a chalice, why it's shaped like a uterus. And when you allow yourself time to go through a big bleed, you can access that Holy Grail. Those visions that I had, they weren't just things in my head. I had full, I could literally see, this doesn't sound crazy, but I could literally see through walls. I could see energy around me because you're so so sensitive when you when you allow yourself to have boundaries from all the other social energies that are coming in and taking up space and really allow yourself to access your own direct line to source your own direct line to energy during this time like you have such profound powers you have such profound and it's not your powers either necessarily it is just access to it right um and the access goes through, you access it through what we call the five chambers, the five chambers of menstruation. So you begin with like a call to separate. So this is separation when you separate from the outside world and go internal and you go into the chambers, you go into that sacred place, the sacred place of ritual, right? Do the call to separate. Oftentimes, like I know most people will recognize like when they get their period and they're like, oh yeah, wow, those past few days really make sense now. Like that aha moment, you're like, oh wow, yeah. The past few days, that makes a lot of sense the way, the reason why I felt that way. Cause we call that the void, right? It's a void. You just, 
you're just on edge. You're just like a lion, like a mama bear. You're just ready and you're on that edge, ready to let go, right? And so it's a call to separate from society. You do so, you go internally. And then once you start bleeding, it's a time of surrender. So it's the second chamber of surrender, letting go and releasing. And this is where you start bleeding. And then you come into um, the third chamber, which is in an oxytocin wash where you actually get a release of the hormone oxytocin in the body, which is only really released when you're breastfeeding, making love, like sharing hugs. It also happens on this day of menstruation if you're fully tapped in and not resisting it and experiencing like all of these things like pain and cramps and resistance and all the things that society tells us are normal for periods that are not. Um, they're common, but not normal. And it's often because of us being in resistance to our bodies most all of the time. Um, but when we're not and we're fully in flow with it, um, then we have that feeling of release and renewal, that oxytocin wash of love. And it just becomes almost ecstatic and it feels so good and nourishing and releasing and relaxing. And this is full rest. And resting at this time is what really allows us to be our full selves when we get to our inner summer. It's like the earth, if it were just summer all the time, which it's starting to be, which, which we're expecting the earth to be summer and productive at all times. And that's why it's burning out. It's, it's the warming. We're doing the same things internally to our bodies as above, so below. Healing humanity involves healing this cycle, right? So then once we have that, we move into the fourth chamber, which is visioning. And when you step into that chamber, that's when you start to have the visions I was talking about on the big lead get visions, um, you get hints on direction. This is a time really to be like writing and journaling and recording yourself and, and really tapping in because the intuition is an all-time high. I mean, the left and right, right sides of your brain are neurologically more connected. If I did a brain scan, you can actually see they're more connected. There's more communication happening. It's between the spirit world and the, and the material world, like it is at its maximum. This is the holy grail that they've been talking about. It's always been here. It's always been within us. It's always been coming out of us. It's always been here. We've just blocked their own access to it. It's just been suppressed for centuries. And this access has been blocked, not just externally, but we have started to block it internally before they even get to us with perfectionism with people pleasing. So I'm like, oh yes, I'm gonna to come to that place and that party because I don't want so-and-so to get upset. Meanwhile, I really need to be honoring my bleed, right? So, and what happens is we get into the fifth chamber and that is clarity and direction. We start to end the bleed towards the end of the bleed. And that's when we, our integration back into society and the earth starts to make sense and we get clarity and direction. And eventually there will be a really clear directionality message that comes through of, okay, this is how to integrate this. And sometimes we're not ready to hear it. Um, sometimes it's really hard. And I know for me on my, my first big bleed, like it was very hard to hear it. And I honestly, for the month after that, buffered. Like I started drinking alcohol again, which I don't generally do. Started like smoking pot again. I started um, like, and for people who know me well, popcorn is my biggest addiction. So I started eating my feelings with popcorn, like endless amounts. Cause the message, I heard it loud and clear, but it was just too big and scary. It was too big and scary. My nervous system couldn't handle it at the time. 
So for like a month, I was just buffering until I came to, I was like, all right, I know what I'm meant to do with this information. I know which direction I'm meant to go. I had to make huge changes in my life. I had to leave like a relationship of like 12 years. I had to like move out of my house. I had to travel. I had to get this message out to the world. I had to start a business. Like all of these things came in clear and I have never felt so aligned since. And it just gets more and more clear every single cycle that I have. Um, and so with menstruation, and this is just the menstrual phase, like this episode is just about that phase. We have four full phases and they each have their own qualities. And this one is just that phase because we're such magical beings, right? So just even knowing those chambers is super important if we want to go through all those chambers. As for the ritual of it, um, as I mentioned, you know, creating the altar space, journaling, um, writing manifestations, um, doing witchcraft rituals, like I could do an entire episode just on, on different types of rituals and manifestation spells. Um, but it is really a time if you do spell work, more so to focus on manifestation work and setting just really getting into your visions and your intentions. It's not a time to like take actions, um, take action. It's really the time to vision and plan because a lot of people wait until they're in their inner summer, which is your ovulatory phase. And they're like, man, I feel great. I'm getting shit done. I've got everything on my to-do list. I'm like vibing high, I feel good. I want to start this and this and this. And people start setting their goals and start coming up with all these ideas when they're in their ovulatory summer phase forgetting that like right after summer comes autumn and your energy, it's gonna die <laughs> just like the earth like autumn's coming like we don't set we don't plant our seeds in the summertime we plant them at the last frost right at the end of winter we plant them in winter like we figure out what we're planting in winter and then we plant them right after that last frost very beginning of spring so what what happens is when we when we set our goals and we're all in that ah, excited energy all of a sudden we can't achieve them because we lose power we lose energy and we we're defeated and then after after that then the shame comes we're like oh I can never do anything I try to put my mind to I can I'm so awful and then the self shame like I've done this a million times then the self hatred talk comes in it's like ah I never do anything I say I will do I can never follow through and we're just always living at odds with this natural cycle and this natural flow. So this one phase is really, really beautiful. Using the blood, the blood itself is so fantastic. Like you can use it, I, like I said, on your third eye, on your, um, on your face. The only um, disclaimers I would say is if you have any STDs, then you risk um, transferring it to the eyes or the mouth. But other than that, your own blood is, I mean, it's safe for you to, like, it's not dirty, it's not gross, it's safe for you to touch. Any odors that you have had before that, that gross you out will most likely come from sanitary pads. I don't know why they call them sanitary because they're actually doused in bleach, but um, pads and tampons and um, things like that with the blood sitting on them for a long time is the bacteria collecting after it's been sitting there for a while that actually creates the odor. If you collect it fresh in say a cup or something, then it actually doesn't have the odors that we usually associate with it. Yeah, so um, I was gonna speak earlier about um, the feeling of it being dirty. So yeah. I think that where this first comes from is that uh, often young girls will be feeling cramps or discomfort 
um, or they're sexually active and they go to a doctor and the doctor will prescribe hormone therapy, right? Birth control. The girl may not even be sexually active. So this is the first message that a girl's getting that something's wrong with your body and needs to shift and change or, you know, be stopped basically. So I think, you know, when you shared earlier about uh, people with male bodies having less judgment around it, it's because they haven't been shamed. So mm-hmm. these young girls are receiving shame. They're not receiving uh, ceremony and rites of passage to introduce them into it. And then mm-hmm. they're being given these toxic products to use on their body. So I'm glad you brought up the bacteria because if you collect butt blood through a diva cup or a cloth pad, there's no scent, right? And mm-hmm. so it really is a reaction of these chemicals. And um, mm-hmm. just for some statistics, so tampons, pads, and panty liners, and their package um, and wrap and their packaging and wrapping generate more than two hundred thousand metric tons of waste annually. And mm-hmm. many of these products have plastics in them and lead to cancer. So not only is it harming women's body or you know female bodies, but it's also harming our environment. And it's become this commodity um, and this industrialized yeah. process. So. From my experience with blood rights um, and uh, traditional experiences with the menstrual cycle, is it there's reverence for it, just like you said that there's mm-hmm. power, um, there's space set aside for women, female bodies to experience this time and to honor this time. And so I was curious about you saying six thousand years because my assumption was it was the industrialized revolution when all these. Um, uh, you know, um, pharmaceuticals were introduced and uh, disposable products were introduced that became dirty because then you do feel dirty when you're using mm-hmm. plastics and bleached cottons and all sorts of things that have these reactions to it. Um, and then, you know, you know, it's interesting that you compared it to poop because we're throwing these things out. They're going into the landfill. So we start to associate. Yeah, it's such a waste. Our, such a magical liquid. Yeah. Um, so I just wanted to comment on that. And then the, you know, the industry of pain relievers and all of that. And, you know, this early message to young girls, like you can go swimming with your period and you can do this with your period and all this encouragement to treat it like a a normal time of the month. Um, and really no education of how can you take care of your body or what is your body telling you if you're actually having discomfort? And that's a whole nother um, chat, you know, can of worms unopened with nutrition and hormonal balancing, but that our bodies will tell us if something is wrong through the color Mm. of our blood, the consistency Mm. of our blood and the symptoms that we have during our bleeding time. So I just wanted to bring up that. And for those of you who don't know that there's alternative to different menstrual products that you get at the drugstore, luckily organic cotton has become more Um, common. However, that's a huge industry and it takes a lot of water to make organic cotton. So, um, you know, reusable menstrual cloth pads, diva cups, um, and other ways to catch the blood. And what I love about catching the blood is then you can more easily utilize it, right? You can't really Mm -hmm. catch blood with a tampon and then use it on your plants. But as Lexi was talking about the blood being so nutritious, it's an amazing plant fertilizer. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know about the stem cell research. So I'm curious about that but I just wanted to interject around, you know, my perspective of why it's become this shameful, dirty thing. And it seems very, Mm. um, very much in connection to the allopathic medicine um, industry 
the pharmaceutical industry and the, you know, plastics industry? Oh my gosh, for sure. For sure. And I think, you know, 6,000 years ago was the beginning of like the patriarchy and that like the beginning of cyclical living being challenged, but hundred percent, like they have so much. In, I mean, yeah, the plastics industry has so much interest in us finding ourselves disgusting and dirty. I mean, like body shaming basically is like half of all things marketed to us. Right. <laughs> like, um, you know, it, and I won't even get into that, but like, cause, cause we all know, like you're not pretty enough, not small enough, not skinny enough, uh, too smelly, vagina's not clean enough, like whatever it may be. Um, but yeah, as for like, just the idea that something is inherently wrong with us when it's actually completely normal, it, it's just, that kind of goes to show it's just like, we have a world structured on this like male hormone cycle and with male bodies being the normal and everything else being dysfunctional. Um, and so with that attitude, yes, 80% of people on the birth control pill are not even on it for contraception. They're on it and they're put on it for health reasons, but it doesn't actually solve the core issue. It just masks symptoms by actually removing your cycle altogether. It just stops ovulation altogether, which can create nutrient deficiencies, which can create bone problems. Um, yeah, and you're basically just being malnourished and it can also lead to higher risk of stroke, heart disease, cardiac arrest, like so many issues. Um, we don't actually have informed consent on uh, when we're given these pills, we're just told that they're completely safe and they're fine. However, um, your chances of blood clots actually goes, especially if you smoke, goes up really fucking high, way higher than the jab risk for Johnson Johnson's jab risk for blood cuts were when they actually took it off the market for a little while because the risk for blood cuts. Um, for birth control, you have a higher risk for blood clots than for, with that. Um, so there's just, there's, yeah, there's so much out there. The birth control pill, um, which I just disclaimer, I fully support everybody's choice for what they need and what's best for them. And there are people who don't have don't have situations where they're only engaging in consensual sex, where the birth control pill can be very, very helpful. Um, and people that actually don't have the time to fully learn natural methods where it could really be a game changer for them. But my only issue is not, my issue is not with the birth control pill itself or access to it, which has been a game changer for our rights, but informed consent, because most of us are not given the whole picture. We're not given the risks. We're not actually told that it cuts off our cycle. We're not actually told that the bleed is fake. It's a synthetic bleed. It doesn't even need to happen. It was put in there for marketing purposes to sell it to both womb holders and the church. Like it's not even medically necessary for like, cause your cycle completely stops. So the bleed is, is fake. So funny that that is because then people are using all of these tampons and pads that have chemicals in them, such as bleach that you're putting in one of the most sensitive parts of your being. Um, that where you risk toxic shock syndrome, which can literally kill you because the bacteria is so intense. So it's like all of these very harsh things to tame something. It's like they're trying to tame the ocean. You know, it's like we, it's like we have the moon that goes through these ebbs and flows and these cycles, and there's these tides with the ocean. And it's like we're putting dams up trying to tame the tides of the ocean in our bodies. And then we wonder why we have so much anger um, so much disease, so much PCOS, endometriosis, all these things, because we're just like resisting what is our natural flow. And I think in my mother's generation, um, like there was so, there was no 
or and the generation before her, they had to become like men just to get their foot in the door. Like they had to, they had no choice. They had to be and had to prove like, hey, we can, anything men could do, we could do. Like there's expression, anything you can do, I can do bleeding. Like there was that, ah, like I have to be like a man. I have to prove that uh, menstruation doesn't hold me back. And so in that sense, that generation kind of lost that. And they, they had to masculinize themselves and work through their period as if nothing was happening. But now we're at the generation where we can say, hold up, hold up. Like, okay, anything you can do, I can do bleeding, but I don't have to. And nor should I, nor will I, because I'm not going to sacrifice my own self health and well-being to appease this this society and not only that the feminine is just as valuable as the masculine and i'm talking about energies i'm not talking about genders right so the feminine energy is just as valuable and how can we show that it's just as valuable as opposed to saying everybody has to be super hyper masculine in order to be seen as valuable so um, I had never heard that it was a fake bleed. So what's happening when a person's bleeding when they're on birth control? So so fake bleed, not in the sense, it's not fake blood. Like it's not, <laughs> like not in that sense. Um, but so what happens during a natural menstrual cycle is you ovulate and the egg attaches to the wall. Um, and then if it's not fertilized, um, the corpus luteum dies and it releases, uh, and it create it not releases, it triggers a huge drop in progesterone, which triggers the, the, the uterine lining to shed. And then what happens on birth control is you're just giving a steady dose of progesterone that when you're, um, that, that when you are on like the off days on the pill, there's like five days or so that just just create a synthetic drop in the hormone. So it's not like a natural drop in hormones. So I see what you're it's, saying. it is a real, you are actually bleeding, but you're not ever ovulating. So you never actually get to experience ovulation anymore, which is a shame because that's like the source of a lot of your libido and your happiness and like the happy hormones like estrogen and your luteinizing hormone and your follicular stimulating hormone, like all these great things that you get to experience. You never um, get to experience them. So, so and then you just experience that drop and you don't have to take that break on those pill days. You can just keep taking the pill. You don't ever, ever, ever have to actually bleed on the pill. So uh, what happens to women who get pregnant when they're taking the pill? They're just not taking it properly? Um, yeah, I mean, I think, you mean like, how does that happen? Yeah, because you said they never ovulate if they're taking the pill. It, they could, yeah, you can miss a day. Um, okay. I think the efficacy rates are like, I think it's like 99.1% or something. So there are people who, um, and some people whose like natural bodies override mm -hmm. stuff. Like I remember yeah. I, I didn't like the pill um, and I was just kind of gaslit and told, oh, if you don't like it, it's just because you haven't found the right one yet. And so I like tried three different kinds. I hated them all because mm. I could feel like the synthetic bleed which at the time I didn't know it was a synthetic bleed either. I would take it out and have a synthetic bleed. And then I would have spotting around the time when my body actually wanted to like bleed. Like my body was just like, I felt like it was at odds all of the time with 
the hormones and I had my own hormones, which are really strong that really wanted to, to come out and play. Like they, mm-hmm. they were there, they're like, let me come out. Like, and it just, it was, it was not a good, it was not a good look for, for me. So I love that you use the language that it's like people are trying to stop the ocean. So the, the moon affects the ocean tides and the same way that the moon affects our wombs and Mm -hmm. pulls on our liquid. So if um, a female is outdoors a lot, if she's aware of the natural cycles of the season, not always indoors all the time, she will sync up with the moon. And there's no, Mm -hmm. you know, coincidence that the moon cycle is 28 to 31 days and a female's cycle is 28 to 31 days. So when I was, um, I'd been using the Diva Cup for many years when I started camping outdoors uh, for a wilderness program. And mm-hmm. it was so fast that I synced up with the moon and mm. it didn't stop until I had ankle surgery and went under anesthesia and then it flip-flopped. So, you know, this yeah. um, wave of the red tent movement that many of you may have heard of um, in the, the book, the red tent, they talk about that women naturally bleed during the new moon and ovulate during the full moon. If you think about, you know, wolves howling at the full moon, babies being born at the full moon, that that's like the most fertile time. Um, although uh, I've heard of people flip-flopping. So I was you know, bleeding with the new moon for years and then had that ankle surgery and then it flip-flopped towards the opposite and then it slowly weaned itself back. Um, mm-hmm. And so I, I think that that's beautiful. And I think that um, the education piece is what's so missing. And so mm-hmm. I'd love it if you talk a little bit more about ceremony now and what, mm-hmm. um, what ceremonies we can put in place. And I'd love to hear about the magic and the spell work as well. Yeah. Yeah. So glad you mentioned that because there, so there's no wrong way to bleed with the moon. Um, and the moon really does dictate the fertility cycle for all beings, all plants, animals. I mean, it dictates the water element, right? So mm-hmm. all fertile cycles and for uh, male bodies in- included, their testosterone tends to drop out during the full moon. Um, and, and so we're all on this infradian cycle, right? And this infradian cycle is the part that has really been robbed from us for all of these generations. And this expectation that we will show up in this the same way every single day in this like eternal summer is burning us out and it's burning out the planet, right? So it's just tapping back into this infrared and right rhythms is why I feel accessing these rituals as being the solution to global warming. Like people are like, how will menstrual cycles like solve global warming? I'm like, because we heal internally, we heal above because it's it's not by just like, stopping plastic production that we're going to heal the planet we have to stop internally our our self-hatred if we're not productive we have to stop our perfectionism and desire to people please by producing and showing up the same way every day instead of going with flow with our infrared cycles and so um some of these uh rituals that we can do i know i talked about honoring the chambers uh, the five chambers and really exploring those um and tapping into that um, it's, it's really venerating the liquid as the powerful magic that it is. So the blood itself um, is full of MSCs, which I can't pronounce the scientific term for. It's like mesenchymal stem cells. Basically, there's stem cells that you produce as an adult. You also have them in your bone marrow, right? Um, but there's MSCs and they're attracting more attention since 2007 
um, because our modern day Western science has finally begun to really see um, the potent power it has, right? So they're using it in testing, plastic surgeons are testing it now because of its actual ability to regenerate, to repair and to make tissue, to make actual live tissue, right? So they're like, it's this, this liquid is literally magic. It's regenerative, um, like within its molecular makeup, right? It's, it's a cellular pathway to source and life creation. Um, and I think one of the many ways I know that I mentioned is, um, that is super powerful and ritual is, um, is using it as a face mask while you're bleeding. Um, it has a lot of other, um, it has a lot of other nutrients in it, like zinc, like potassium and nitrous, which is why you can mix it with water and feed it to your plants. It's a great plant fertilizer, right? Like you mentioned. So another great ritual is during your period is to um, either take the blood from either a cup or from your uh, reusable pads and mix it with some water. Um, you can soak your pads in, in water directly after you want to use fresh blood. You don't ever want to use used, you don't ever want to use refrigerated blood in, in these instances um, and mix it with water and you can 10 parts water, one part blood. You can mix that and, and use it as a plant fertilizer for your plants. Um, you can also, another great ritual that I have is to um, take a cup of the blood and paint with it. And um, I can write out manifestations and I've done multiple ways of painting with it. One, I'll actually write out my manifestations in ink and then I'll paint that page and decorate it with the blood and hold on to that. Um, I actually have my, I wonder if I have, I don't know if I have it in here. I do. Okay. So is it a manifestation spell? My biggest one that I do every year is at the New Year's. And so I have this little mojo bag. I actually have two. Um, I do it at the beginning of the year, right? And um, during a manifestation spell, I usually do it on the new moon. So if I'm not bleeding on the new moon, I'll usually set most of my intentions while I'm bleeding. And then the following new moon, I'll really like set them out into the universe um, and I'll save that blood, right? So a good way to store your blood uh, if you do want to save it to use it on a new moon for a manifestation spell, um, you'll want to use an airtight container, put it in the fridge and keep it well labeled so that none of your family accidentally uses it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, when I was thinking back to the beginning of the conversation, when we're talking about these young girls who are going to the doctor to get relief, mm -hmm. right? And what a tender time of starting to know who you are, step into mm -hmm. your independence, step out of the parental sphere, interact with the world yeah. as an individual, a sovereign being. And the doctor's telling you that you have to shut off this part of you that is the most intuitive, the most, you know, the, the life force of you. And then you yeah. talked about this people pleasing, this codependent culture that we all live mm -hmm. in. Um, and you know, you can't be in pain because you're supposed to be taking care of other people, right? Like mm -hmm. there's this, there's this um idea that 
you know, as a female, you are here to, to serve others, to take care of others. And so of course mm-hmm. you can't inconvenience yourself or the world by being in pain or slowing down. So I'm not surprised mm-hmm. that we live in such a codependent culture of people who are so confused and so insecure and they don't know, mm-hmm. you know, they don't know what their inner voice is saying. They're clouded by other people's projections. They're constantly worried about what other people see in them. Um, and I bet it all comes, you know, you could say that from zero to seven is when we really, uh, develop our sense of self and our narrative. Mm -hmm. But I, I am curious about just how much, um, distortions are, you know, anchored into us when we become menstruate, begin to menstruate. And then society tells us that we have to quiet down, stuff it up, um, numb it and ignore it. Of course, mm-hmm. we you know, are in the society of people who feel disempowered, uh, don't know how to hear their intuition and are at the effect mm-hmm. of um, this industrialized yeah. experience of menstruating. So I think um, yeah. as we finish, I- I'd love to hear your feedback. And as we finish, um, I'd love you to comment on uh, people in different gendered bodies and how menstruation can be accessed by all because please correct me if I'm wrong. I I recall Mm -hmm. that when we connected, you said something about it's not just female bodies um, Mm -hmm. that can take advantage of this. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So just to, to close off some of the um, ritual work um, of using blood, I know I said like, you know, you can paint with it. And this also definitely helps for any, any age of coming to terms with and accepting that power, right? Um, because it's one of the most powerful manifestation tools because it's the liquid created in your sacral chakra, right? Like it's that power center, that center of creation, um, that energy. And um, so anytime you use that, like you can honor your intuition really of like the best way to use it. So you can use it for writing spells. You can use it um, on like mind maps of things and just painting with it. You can just actually paint things with it. Um, And you can use it for manifestation in that way. And then you can also use it for banishing things. So, you know, if you are, I'm trying to banish some of that codependency, some of that people pleasing. You could write codependency on a piece of paper and you can paint that with some of the blood from your last um, from your last cycle and you can burn that and burn it and watch, watch it burn away out of you and out of your being and out of your ancestry. Um, and as for um, using, so there's there's many different layers to this because not so, as for, for gender, there's many layers because um, as we'll talk about a little bit more in the next episode, we talk about cyclical living and decolonization overall um, is that gender is not in a binary, right? So there's sex and there's gender, right? So sex is the biological side, which sex is not a binary either. Um, sex, there's, um, there's male, and female um, attributes. And there's like 16 different uh, biomarkers in the body that can be identified as male or female. There's more than just genitals, right? There's genitals, there's gonads, there's hormones, there's brain chemistry. Uh, there's just a slew of things um, that are can be male, female, right? And so biologically, 
there's a lot of people that have mostly male attributes and mostly female attributes, but there's a very large amount of people who have a mixture of both. And we refer to use the term intersex, um, but intersex, it can be a big range. And then there's a lot of people who are have mostly male attributes, but might have really high levels of estrogen. There's people who may have XXY chromosomes, but are born with a penis. Um, so it's just like there's a huge range already that's not in the binary. And our modern science has basically done all studies dividing people into these two groups, uh, which just doesn't make sense scientifically because there's not two groups. Um, it's the same percentage of people who have red hair that are actually intersex. So that's almost 172 million people on the planet. So it's a pretty significant amount of people to just be like, well, they might as well just be men. <laughs> like, they're not. So like, when we think about how, when we talk about stuff in terms of science, I like to call it sometimes to my detriment, perhaps I call it white man science. Um, because it's a science that's only about 200 years old that just, you know, 40 years ago told me that I needed to have hysteria removed from my body. You know, it was like, they still call it a hysterectomy. Um, and I could go into like the history of our science and all that stuff and how a lot of sciences like such as Ayurveda and traditional Chinese medicine that are like 5,000 plus years old are written off by white man science is not yet proven um, despite 5,000 years of research. And anyways, um, um, on, on that note, I do think we have this idea set in us, uh, as things being just like facts when they're actually not. And so we're still learning, right? We're still learning the language of how, cause I'm genderqueer, right? And so I don't identify as woman. Um, and even, even for me, it's, it's still hard to navigate sometimes, like, cause we don't have language for this. Like for me, when I was in college, I just used the term queer cause I didn't, I didn't have a language. Now we have all of these terms coming out. Like we have non-binary we're like starting to develop language that for so many of us have, um, had as an experience internally and just have never had a way to express, which I think is a really beautiful thing, but it's going to continue to evolve. Right. And so if we understand biologically that there's so many people that are not all male and not all female, that's a good basis for us when we talk about womb healing, because on the other end, there's gender, right? So that was sex, but gender is actually the social construct. Um, and this is not just my opinion. That's what gender actually means. It means the social construct around your sex, right? So the social things that people who are male, you know, born as assigned male birth, like the social things that they um, do in society. And uh, a lot of ancient cultures had anywhere from, from, you know, three to seven genders that they honored and identified with. So our culture I, like likes to put us into two boxes, but that's really just very restrictive. And it um, comes from, yeah, the same colonists that, that got rid of cyclical arts and living and yeah. And, and with all that statistics that you just shared with us and thank you so much, that's so valuable. Um, this information is so underground really still today. And 75% of medical studies have been done on male bodies. Mm -hmm. um, so not mm -hmm. including intersex and all the other variations, but strictly male bodies. And that's a big issue. It's huge. And not just that, once they do include um, female bodies, they won't test on menstruating bodies because there's too many variables for white man science. Too many variables because 
I am a chemically and biochemically, I am four different people every single month. And they're like, that's too much to handle. Well, and I, and I get it because the model is set up in a way that you can't have that many variables if you want to test a thing, it becomes too complicated. And so this is where intuition comes in. And this is where nuance and art, the art of the science that is so good in like Ayurveda and traditional Chinese medicine that is missing from white man science, which white man science has a lot of very valuable things. I'm not like saying that Western medicine has nothing to offer, which it completely does, but we have to be real about the fact that it's completely blind in the sense of creating these two genders and using male as the only thing that it really values as far as testing and the efficacy of, of treatments. Amen. A woman. A, a woman. Um, <laughs> so uh, I think that we'll wrap up here, Lexi, because you're coming mm -hmm. back for our next episode and we're going to dig deep into cyclical living and the cyclical arts. And Lexi's going to tell us all about that. Um, and the title of our next talk is cyclical living decolonizing medicine, gender, race, and spirituality. Um, so please mm -hmm. revisit us for that. And I think the last thing I want to leave our listeners with is start charting your cycle, start taking notes, start observing mm. your body. No one else knows your body better than you. Uh, notice when you feel differently throughout the month, as Lexi shared, there's four different phases. Um, start to play around with what foods you might be craving and why, um, you know, reach out to somebody like Lexi, uh, to find out how to better understand what your cravings are or your signs of pain. Um, you're not alone and uh, you can be free from these symptoms. It is your body speaking to you. Um, you could even go as deep as to say, these are your ancestors speaking to you. Your body is uh, a living, breathing being, as you know, and there's so much mm -hmm. wisdom within you that you've yet to tap into. So consider this your invitation to start to maximize your power in a whole new way. And we hope that this touched you. Yes, yes. Thank you so much for having me. And I just wanna end, um, yeah, with just saying this is such a powerful thing. And as we were finishing off with gender, just to know that this cycle, it's, it's part of an infradian rhythm that affects all of us. So no matter how you identify, um, no matter whether you bleed or not, this infrared cycle is alive in you. And you can reach out to me or Becca for more information about how to tap into that cycle and that cycle wisdom. And then for those who menstruate, just always keeping in mind, you know, not everybody who menstruates identifies as woman. Um, not everyone who has a womb identifies as woman and, and vice versa. So um, just know that the power is not, and the responsibility is not just in the hands of womb holders, but in the hands of all of us, all living things. Beautiful. Lexi, thank you so much for gracing us with your presence and your wealth of knowledge today. I'll see you next time. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. Okay. Thank you for listening and becoming part of this community. If you love this episode, I invite you to subscribe, share with someone you think would appreciate it, or leave a review. This helps me to learn what resonates with you so I can deliver more of what you want and reach more people who can benefit from this content. If you want to reach me, please feel free to reach out on my website, www.beccaspirit.com. I would love to hear from you, get any feedback, and know what's on your mind. Until next time, take great care.